want to thank uh, Eric Coleman here. For those of you who don't know Eric, Eric is uh, part of our staff. Normally you don't see him. He's in the back toiling uh, with the AV and uh, sound back there. But Eric uh, stepped up this morning to lead worship as Pastor Raleigh was away for a few days this week. So we're blessed to have him. Let's pray as we uh, prepare to open God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us. It is a gift from you. And Father, as we sang, we need you. Indeed, you're all that we need. And we gather here together this morning to praise you and to thank you. And Lord, we pray that our praise was worthy. We pray that it came from hearts that were overflowing with love for you. Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to us. We thank you for the gift of your word. Father, I pray that you would help me to get out of your way so that you can speak to your people. Lord, you have a message for each of us today, and we ask that you would help us to hear your words, help us to take them into our hearts and to embody them. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as Pastor Riley mentioned, um, my name is Bill Maroney. For those of you who don't know me, I am the Director of Children, Youth, and College Ministries here at Harvest. And every once in a while, I get the opportunity to come here and spend some time with the adults. And I love doing that when I get a chance to do it. And uh, if you've never been with me before, I promise you I'm going to do my best not to treat you like your third graders. But I do enjoy spending time with them, and I find that I learn a lot from your kids, uh, probably maybe even as much as they learn from me sometimes. And kids can be great examples. Kids can be great object lessons. And I realized that as I was praying about this message, and God brought a, a situation to mind for me with my children back uh, quite a few years ago when they were still in early elementary school. Uh, we took Danielle and Zachary, Julie and I took Danielle and Zachary down to uh, Texas on a, a short little vacation and we set aside a day while we were in Texas to go to Six Flags over Texas because we figured what better way to celebrate driving 900 miles in 14 hours than doing something that we could have done right over in Gurney. <laughs> don't ask me, I don't know. It's just Zachary loved roller coasters and we thought we can fill a day with roller coasters at Six Flags. So we went over to Six Flags, and man, did we get on the roller coasters. And we rode roller coaster after roller coaster after roller coaster, and Zach was just having a great time. And, and towards the end of a, a long day of loops and twists and turns and all that good stuff, Zachary says, I have a headache. Now, you need to understand, Zachary was kind of famous for his headaches and having those turn into becoming ill at the same time. But... We said, oh, you'll be fine, and, and he didn't want to give up riding roller coasters, so we got on another one, and we got on this big roller coaster that had two great big loops on it, and it was great, and we're laughing and, and screaming, and as we got off, Zachary says, I don't feel well. Now, you have to understand, Zachary is famous for his vomiting, which sounds strange, but this is a boy who could do it any place, any time, as a matter of fact, his kindergarten teacher, who had been teaching for 12 years at the time, told us that Zach was the first one that had ever actually hit her. She had managed to dodge and, and dive and dip. Zachary was too quick. He nailed her. So he's pretty well known for this. And, and my wife is pretty well known for her ability to both anticipate it and catch it. 
in, in whatever is handy, uh, however unfortunate that may be sometimes. And one time we're riding in the van, and Zachary says, no, I don't feel good. And I see out of the corner of my eye, I'm driving, and I look out of the corner of my eye, and Julie reaches down, scoops up her purse off the floor, and in one motion dumps it out as she turns back towards Zachary and takes the now at least reasonably empty purse and reaches back and stuffs his head in it just before he loses his lunch. Crisis averted. Now, I don't know if this qualifies as a superpower, but it comes pretty close. So Zachary gets off the ride and says, I don't feel good. Boom, Supermom jumps into action, grabs the kid up off the ground, spins him around, and stuffs his head in a conveniently placed garbage can <laughs> before Zachary does the Technicolor yawn all over northern Texas. So that was that. End of the day. We had one roller coaster ride too many. It was time to go home. Zachary had literally had too much of a good thing. And we hear that phrase, too much of a good thing. But you know what? There really is such a thing as too much of a good thing. And, and we've probably all crossed that line at one time or another. And we might think, well, there's some good things that you just can't get too much of. Well, I want you to consider water, right? Drinking water. Your physician will tell you it's the most important thing. Drink plenty of water. It's good for you. Hydrate. Uh, you know, skip the colas, the coffees, and all that good stuff and drink water. Are you aware that if you drink too much water, you'll get something called hyponatremia, which is too much salt in your blood? And it is very serious. And if it gets too bad, you'll get water intoxication and could die from it. So you literally can die from drinking too much water. Too much of a good thing. Well, in this fallen world that we live in, even the good things need to be taken in moderation. But God says in his spiritual world, in his economy, there are some things, some good things, indeed great things, that we can never have too much of, that we can never get enough of. No matter how much time we're spending in God's word, more would be better. No matter how much time we're spending praising and worshiping God, more would be better. And as we're going to look at this morning, no matter how much time we spend in prayer, more would be better. And that's the title of this morning's message, Prayer, Too Little of a Great Thing. We're going to be looking at quite a few passages this morning, but we'll start in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles with you, open to Matthew chapter uh, 5, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and we'll be reading verses 5 through 13, Matthew 6. 5 through 13, here's what they say. And when you pray, you must, be not like, must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
a very familiar passage to us, the Lord's Prayer. And if we're going to look at prayer, what better place to start than with the instructions that came directly from our Lord. And as we look at this passage where Jesus is teaching us to pray, one of the first things that we see is that prayer should be personal. It's our first point for this morning. Prayer should be personal. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. They're making a show of prayer. Their prayers aren't directed toward God. They're directed towards the ears of others. And prayer is meant to be a personal conversation with God, not a show. Now, does that mean that there's anything wrong with public prayer? No. In fact, public prayer is very important. Corporate prayer is a powerful thing. Remember Peter when he was being held in prison. It says in Matthew 12, 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was being made, uh, I'm sorry, was made to God by the church. And then after his release by the angel of the Lord, it goes on to say in verse 12, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. The people were gathered together in the home of Mary, praying for Peter in his imprisonment when he shows up at the door. What a great endorsement for corporate prayer, for joining together and the power of God's people joining together in prayer. And here at Harvest, we value corporate prayer very highly. We have a prayer meeting here every Wednesday night. And the faithful prayers of Harvest join together and they lift up this church and the people of this church and the needs that exist and the leadership of the church and all those who are serving. And they pray for our cities, our state, our country, and lift up all of those things in prayer on a weekly basis. And that's a very biblical model. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3 says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Yes, corporate prayer is important. You know, every Sunday morning here in a room that uh, we call the engine room, which is really just a, a little room right over here off the coat closet here in the, new, uh, in the new sanctuary, in the new worship center, there are a group of guys who get together every single Sunday morning starting at 845, and they just come and go and spend 10 or 15 minutes of time in there praying for everything that's going on here this morning for our pastors as they're up here, for the worship team as they lead in worship, for all those who are serving here in the morning, for the people who are in attendance, for the unsaved who are here. And they lift all of this up in continual prayer. It just takes 10 or 15 minutes of their time, but what a great, great ministry that is to just bathe everything that goes on here in prayer. And if you want to join them, they start at 845 and go all the way through till I think about 1045 or so. So stop by, just give them 10, 15 minutes of prayer time. I know Jim and, and Brian and the guys would love to see you there. Prayer, corporate prayer, yes, it's important. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you're praying in public, if you're going to be out praying in public, you'd best be praying in private first. Because prayer is about a personal relationship between you and God and you need to get away on a regular basis and spend time with just him. Spend time alone. 
Look at the example of Daniel. Remember Daniel, the, uh, the high officials had convinced King Darius to sign a decree that said anybody who prays to anyone or anything other than you, King Darius, will be thrown into the lion's den, be put to death. Here's what it says in Daniel 6.10. When Daniel knew what the document, that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. See, Daniel was a young man who prayed on a regular basis and nothing, not even the threat of death, was going to keep him from that. And Daniel's dedication to prayer wasn't born of self-discipline or legalism. It was born of a desire to spend time with his God. And nothing was going to get in the way of that. And that's what our prayer time should be based on. A desire to spend time with God. One-on-one time. Psalm 42, 1 through 4 says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. The psalmist is saying his soul thirsts for God. Thirst is the strongest of those cravings, those, you know, those things that drive us because hydration is important to life. Without it, if we quit drinking, we die. And that craving for that thirst is such a strong craving. And and the psalmist is saying, is that how you feel about your time with God? Is it like a thirst that can't be quenched by anything other than him? Because that's what Daniel's desire to spend time with God was. It outweighed even his fear of death. So think about that. Daniel says, I'm going to even keep my windows open. I don't care who sees me. I will spend my time with you, God. And then we look at our lives and we say, how often do we let things like busy schedules, stuff that's going on with the kids, Facebook, Twitter, TV, sports, any of those things, sleep, get in the way of time alone with God? What does that say about our desire to spend time with him? You know, I know as the the parent of a grown child and two who are in college, that my wife and I are pleased, we're blessed when our kids make time to spend it with us, when they actually spend time with us. And I also know how hurt we are when they just blow us off. And I'm thinking, what does that feel like for our Heavenly Father when we ignore time with Him, when we choose the things of this world, when we choose worthless things over time spent alone with Him? It says a lot about our priorities. And if your prayer life is suffering, perhaps you need to take a good hard look at your relationship with the Lord. You know, what's standing in the way? Is there unconfessed sin there that needs to be addressed? Isaiah 1, 15 through 17 says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. 
bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Unconfessed or unrepentant sin is going to stand in the way of God being able to answer our prayers or God hearing our prayers. And it's also going to stand in the way of our desire to pray. When we have that unconfessed, unrepentant sin in our life, the last thing on our mind is going to be spending time with God. It's going to take us away from him. What about our love for the Savior? Is that stronger than our desire for the things of this world? Revelation 2, 3 through 4. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, I know you're enduring, you're hanging in there, that's good, but I do have something against you, and that's that you don't love me the way you used to. The things that you're doing aren't motivated by love anymore. Jesus is saying your, your first love. Remember how it felt when you first got saved? You remember that love that you had for your Savior, for how strongly you felt and how unashamed you were of it and, and how much you desired to spend time with him? He's saying, where is that? That should still be our relationship today. You need to get back that first love. The time alone with me should be something that you absolutely thirst for, something that you can't live without. So prayer should be personal. Prayer should also be powerful. Isaiah 38, 1 through 6 says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and will defend this city. We see in this passage that prayer has the power to preserve life. Hezekiah's days were done. It was, he was going to die. But he made his request known unto God, and God heard his request and blessed him with 15 more years. I bet he's glad that he asked. Hezekiah knew that God had the power to preserve his life, and he was counting on that power. Acts 9, 36 through 37. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And picking up in verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. See, Tabitha was dead. And Peter knew that there was nothing that he personally could do to change that. So he did the only thing he could do. He prayed. And it's not very often in life that our last option is actually our best option and should have been our first option. See, prayer should be our first and last option with everything. Peter couldn't do anything, but he knew that the all-powerful God that he prayed to could. Because prayer is powerful, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. 
Joshua 10, 12 through 13. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the son of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jeshar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Prayer has power over our physical world. We're taught to believe that the physical world has immutable laws that cannot be changed, one of those being that the earth will revolve once every 24 hours. And that as it's doing that, it's also revolving around the sun once every 364 and a quarter days. And that because of that, we can predict with absolute accuracy the timing of the rising and the setting of the sun each and every day. Until the all-powerful God who created all of it, simply by speaking, gets involved. Then all bets are off. Because God has control over this physical world, over all that he created, including us. We pray to an all-powerful God. And that power extends beyond the physical world, as we know it. Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is, and is saved. Prayer has the power to change eternity. Paul says if you believe in your heart that God raised his son Jesus from the dead after he had died on the cross for your sins, then you need only confess it with your mouth and you'll be saved. How can we ever underestimate the power of prayer when it was that very first, very simple prayer that we said in faith to God that changed our lives for all of eternity, that took us from eternal separation from him to being an adopted part of his family, to spending eternity with him in glory, a simple prayer. That's how powerful prayer is. Be careful not to underestimate God's power in your prayers. So we've seen that prayer should be personal, it should be powerful, and it should also be pervasive. Merriam-Webster defines pervasive as existing in every part of something or spreading to all parts of something. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says it this way, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God is saying, bring your requests to me. All of them. Right? Did you catch that? In everything. Everything means all that exists. That's a lot. Paul's saying that we should pray about all that exists in our lives. Because prayer needs to be pervasive. It needs to spread to all aspects of our life. And in order to do that, prayer needs to be an all-day, ongoing conversation with God. Not something that we only do at mealtimes or something that we only do in a special prayer time that we have set aside. Those are good, but they're just the start. It needs to be an all-day, ongoing conversation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says it this way, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Always, without ceasing, all circumstances. God's saying, pray all the time. You know, I often tell the kids here at Harvest that, you know, prayer doesn't have to always be with your heads bowed and your hands folded and your eyes closed. We teach them to pray that way because we want them to focus on their prayer and, and to be, you know, show that submission before God. But I also teach them that we need to pray all the time, which means they can pray walking down the hall at school, or I pray a lot while I drive. Not a good time to close your eyes, right? I try to keep them as open as they can be. Because if I think to myself, you know what, I'll remember that and I'll pray about it later during my prayer time, I'm going to forget. Okay, chances are very good I'm going to forget. Or get busy and not have that prayer time at all. God's saying, don't wait, pray now. Talk to me now. Pray without ceasing. And on that subject, if you do commit to pray for somebody or pray about something, if you're standing talking with someone and they, hasn't, they have a need, don't say, I'll pray for that for you. Just stop right there and pray for them. Simple prayer, quick, just a few words. But pray right then and right there. And that kind of brings up another thing that bothers me sometimes. Facebook. Facebook, I, you know what, I'm on Facebook and I see, I know what you guys had for breakfast and what you did yesterday and all that good stuff too. But what I do find on Facebook of great value is when people need prayer, they'll put it out there. I need prayer. And that's a wonderful use of social media to let the, the prayer faithful in your life know that you're in need of prayer. But when you go on there and you see that and you put down praying or whatever the case might be, make sure you pray. I cannot imagine a worse betrayal than telling somebody, I'll pray for you and then not doing it. Just stop right then, right there, and pray. There's plenty of time to see what Cousin Sally did yesterday. Stop, pray, and then say, prayed for you, praying for you. Because God wants us to pray ceaselessly. And we have to understand what a privilege that is. We're blessed beyond belief to have a God who says, come to me any time. Come to me all the time. Bring it all to me. I know how it is. I have children, and how many times have I said to them, enough already. All you do is ask for stuff, or can we talk about this later? I'm really busy. God says, I am never too busy for you. Come to me now. You're probably familiar with the book entitled, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and It's All Small Stuff. Well, that makes for a great book title. But God has a different plan, and that's simply, don't sweat the small stuff, or the big stuff, but bring it all to me. Don't blow it off. Bring it to me, and I'll help you sort through it. Now, that's not a very catchy book title, but it's a much more effective way to live our lives. And although God says, bring it all to me, of course, we have to remember that that doesn't remotely mean that all of our prayers are going to be answered the way we desire. James 4.3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. When our prayers are born of selfish desires or wrong motives, we have no right to expect them to be answered by God. Zechariah 7.13 says, As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. Here the Lord's saying, This prayer is a two-way street. If you're not going to listen to me, I'm not going to listen to you. 
because prayer isn't your spiritual ATM card. You don't take it out and swipe it when you need something and get your, get your spiritual needs filled and then throw that card back in your pocket and put it away. You see, prayer is as much about us listening to God as it is about us talking to God. Don't you love it when someone asks you a question and then ignores your answer or doesn't wait for your answer or changes your answer? Well, that's how God feels when we pray to him and then we turn around and get back, jump right back into our busy lives and get going and don't listen to what he says. See, prayer isn't even really about us letting God know our needs because he already knows them. Our needs are known by him. He doesn't need us to remind him, but he wants to hear it from us. He wants to communicate with us. Look at the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 36 through 39. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus went to his heavenly father and he made his desire known. But he also acknowledged that what was most important was his father's will for that situation. And all of our prayers need to be yielded to God as well. If you're praying about something, then God already has a plan for it. And he wants us to ask for what we desire, but he wants us to listen to him so we can understand his will, so that we can get with his will and not just what we want. Just as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer needs to be personal, powerful, and pervasive, and it also needs to be patient but persistent. You know, an answer to prayer often doesn't come immediately. We're taught that we're to continue praying earnestly, and that's going to require patience and persistence. Persistence is that quality that allows you to keep doing something or trying something, even though it's difficult or being opposed by someone else. Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat, down, beat me down on, with her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is teaching us to be persistent and patient in our prayer, to keep trying and to not give up. And we live in a society that is built on instant gratification. There's no doubt about that. There are probably many of you out here who are just like me. How many of you have ever peered into that microwave that's cooking something in two minutes that should have taken a half hour or more and went, come on already, right? I'm not the only guy, right? Other people do this. 
You're, you're in a hurry. You want to get it done. And we're used to a world that just keeps giving us what we want quicker and quicker and quicker. You've got thousands of movies at your disposal. You can hear any song that you want to hear with the click of a couple of buttons. You order something online today and it shows up at your door tomorrow. We're used to getting what we want and getting it right now. But prayer isn't about instant gratification. We can't treat our relationship with God like these dominoes. God isn't saying, your prayer answered in 30 minutes or less or your next miracle is free. (laughs) Not how it works. Actually, God uses our prayer life to teach us patience. I know that he did in my life. Julie and I had been married about three years and we decided that we wanted to have a baby. And in typical fashion, I thought, okay, Let's see, we want to have a baby, this is blah, 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 we'll get started, and then, oh, look, the baby will be here by December, we'll probably even get a tax deduction for it. Right. Seven years later. Seven years God taught us about patience and persistence in prayer. And not just us, our church at the time was praying along with us. And in fact, one of my good friends, a a fellow elder at the church by the name of Daniel, appropriately enough, came to me and said, I want to fast and pray with you one day a week. Could we just choose one day and you at your work and and I at my work will give up our lunch and we'll pray about this baby. And we did that for quite some time. Talk about a great friend. Talk about a great church leader. This is somebody who understood the power of prayer and sacrificing for others and, and lifting up their needs. Well, after seven years in patience school and a lot of prayers, God finally answered that prayer and said, here is what you've been asking for. But I just praise him that he gave us the perseverance to keep turning to him throughout that time and gave us a beautiful baby daughter. And between Julie and I and our friends, I can imagine how many thousands of prayers there were. It wasn't just a couple, and then we'll let God handle it, but thousands of prayers. You know, as a staff, we recently read a biography of A.W. Tozer, and it was a really interesting look into the life of Tozer, but what caught my eye the most was how much he prayed. And it said that he prayed as he arrived at his office every day for at least a couple of hours. And in fact, he would come in and he would put on an old pair of trousers and take off his suit pants because he didn't want to wear out the knees in his good suits. The guy literally had a pair of prayer pants that he put on, the mor- on in the morning so that he could get down on his knees before God. And I'm thinking, what a great idea. Special prayer pants. I like that idea. Because prayer requires patience and persistence. See, prayer is a good thing. It's a great thing. And we can never, ever get too much of it. There's always room for more. Remember the old Bill Cosby Jell-O commercials? There's always room for Jell-O. Well, there is always room for prayer. So where are you in your prayer life right now? Is your prayer life personal? Do you have a desire to spend time with God on a daily basis? If not, put your prayer pants on. Get down on your knees and ask God to rekindle that first love in your life. 
that love that drew you to him, that makes you want to spend time with him. Is your prayer life powerful? Are you experiencing God's awesome power in your life? Or are you asking him with wrong motives? Or allowing some unconfessed or unrepentant sin to stand in the way? If so, put on your prayer pants. Get on your knees. Seek God's will. Surrender your will to him. Ask him to forgive that sin and to help you to repent and turn from it. Is your prayer life pervasive? Is it spread throughout your daily life? Or is it compartmentalized into meal times and the occasional study time or prayer time? Well, if it is, I'd say skip the prayer pants altogether and just start praying right now. God says pray now. Come to him. Ask him to help you to communicate on a regular basis. And then when you get up tomorrow morning, start in conversation with God and stay in conversation with him all day, every day. Is your prayer life patient but persistent? Or are you likely to pray once and give up? Or lose patience when God's answer doesn't come as quickly as you want it to? Then put on your prayer pants and ask God to help you learn patience. Ask him to help you to persevere and persist in prayer. <clears throat> or perhaps you're here this morning and you have no prayer life because you've never taken that first step, that first prayer, and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. If you've never done that, this message didn't make much sense to you because you've never experienced prayer and the power that it really has. And God would be calling you today to believe in your heart, as the scripture said, that his son died on the cross for you and was raised again by him on the third day, and he was given victory over sin and death. And then you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior, and he promises to save you. In a moment, we're going to close in prayer, and when we do, at the end of that prayer, I'm going to say a very simple prayer. And if you're here this morning and you feel God calling you in your heart to say that first all-important prayer, then you can just pray it along with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for this incredible day that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for your word and all that it can teach us. You love us so much and you desire us to know you better and Lord, we can do that through prayer, and we thank you that we know that we can come to you any time. And not only are you willing to hear us, you want to hear us. You long to hear from us. And Father, we go far too long in between. We're too silent with you, but Father, we pray that you will help us to come to you more often, to have that prayer life that is vital and alive, that allows us to spend quality time with you every day. And then, Father, as we seek your will, help us to understand it. Help us to be good with it, to want that more than our own desires. And then give us the strength and all that we'll need to pursue your will in each of those situations. And we thank you, Jesus, for your love for us and all that you do for us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and you're ready to say that first prayer, 
And you can just pray this along with me. Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. And I know you were raised again on the third day and given power over sin and death. And I ask you, Jesus, to use that power in my life. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me and all that you will. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Folks, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, God has promised to save you. And we'd like to know about it. Now, on your, in your bulletin that you received when you came in this morning, there's a little tear-off sheet on the back of that bulletin. And if you would be kind enough to fill that out and let us know that you made a decision for Christ today or some other commitment that you made to God today that you'd like to share with us, as a staff here, we'd just like to pray for you, lift you up in prayer and support you. Uh, praise God for what he's doing in your life. Um, you can also use that same tear-off if you want to share prayer needs and prayer requests. As a staff, every week we pray for the needs that are written on those cards and shared with us. So make sure you fill those out 